On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Indo Daily. Now, a special episode from our sister podcast, The Bell Tell. Mangled clumps of metal, the aftermath of what the local had been on patrol here in Castle Street when the shooting happened. Timer, Albert Cooper was killed instantly when the booby trapped a stage car was blown The IRA claim contained two pounds of Semtex was hit several times in the upper body. 302 members of the RUC were killed by terrorist action between 1969 to 1998. As a police officer, can I just say that I'm numbed by the brutal slaying of my two colleagues. And at this particular time, our thoughts and our sympathies are with the families. The lives of 198 members of the UDR were also taken, with a further 62 killed after they left the regiment. Orne had left the, left the regiment to spend more time with his family. You know, he was effectively a civilian. He was mur- murdered in front of my, myself, my mum and my younger brother at his place of work. They all left shattered families behind. Widows, widowers, parents and children. And for that seven and a half years that I had my dad, I have so many happy memories. And then obviously when daddy was murdered then, that was taken away from us. What was it like growing up with a relative in the security forces? Were children aware of the risks? And what's it like to lose a relative to gunmen? In some cases, in front of your eyes. His head was bandaged. It was really, and it was the first, it was the first dead body I'd seen as well. I'm Kirsten Elder. I spoke to four people who had lost family members during the troubles. They told me about their loved ones and how they died, how they feel about that loss and the peace process. If ever there's pieces of the Good Friday Agreement, I find quite unpalatable, you know, like watching, you know, murderers get out of prison. In this episode, I spoke to Brian Finley, whose father was murdered in 1991, in front of him, when he was just 10 years old, as he stood with his three-year-old brother and their mother. Yeah, well, my father served proudly in the UDR for 18 years and 8 months as a part-time soldier. He'd uh, actually left the UDR, and I think it was maybe 1989, you know, after doing it not long after my younger brother had been born. He left the, left the regiment to spend more time with his family. And then 15th August 19, 
91, you know, he was in fact a place of volume. He was mur murdered in front of my, myself, my mum and my younger brother, this piece of work. You know, a very callous attack. I was 10 years old. My brother was three. You know, it was a horrific, horrific attack. I don't think my brother really remembers a lot about it, you know, but in terms of, you know, growing up then, you know, I'd spent time, you know, with my father as such, and whereas he didn't have any of that, you know, and, you know, later, later years, there's always a, an absence. It's absence of that father figure to share these memories with and good times with, you know. Been an absence throughout the years, like my mother spent over 30 years now, you know, on her own, trying to bring up two children. You know, I've had my own struggles and issues myself, like, you know, it's it's a heart that's thinking back to when I was 10 years old and, you know, obviously I understood what had happened, you know, but it's hard to kind of process that in your, your mind and understand, you know, why, you know, I thought my father would have been safe, was safe, you know, when it, I thought, you know, I remember probably thinking to myself, my, uh, my daddy would be safe now, you know, he left the, he left the UDR, but that wasn't to be the case, you know. But when we chatted before in our conversations, you'd said, you know, that um, that, that moment obviously has haunted you for a long time. And you said it's still very fresh in your mind that day. Yeah, I still could rec rec recollect all the, you know, the activities, you know, as such luck. And it's taken me a long time to get to a point where I could even, you know, actually talk about them instead of itself or actually talk about my father or... We had to, um, we had to walk some distance to raise the alarm because the cars that had carried out the attack shot out the tires in the car and it tied up the the farmers in the farmhouse and it pulled out or you know disconnected the the phone lines. So we had to walk quite some distance to raise the alarm, you know. But I remember, you know, recollections of the mother as maybe written, you know, that I was hysterical. I don't remember being hysterical as such but I remember you know publicly saying we need to be quick we need to get the you know the doctor's ambulance here to save save daddy as such luck but you know there was no chance of that you know he was already gone you know but at a 10 year old you don't you don't really know that luck and then we needed to laugh to that and you know kind of blur luck but I remember being you know a lot of family and friends were there to support us and you know, my mother tried to give us as good upbringing as she can, you know, but it have been hard for her, like bringing up two young children. And remember, well, she would have took us went on holidays and things, and and hard to replace a father figure. Well, was maybe not when well, my brother was younger, like, but you know, father was a big part of my life. I went everywhere with him, you know. Would I went and helped him on the farm, or would I went, you know, parades or things like that, or went shopping together we just and then it's just gone just removed but for what you know what was it what was it all for such like you know because it you know served in the in the community you know like he was law abiding citizen you know I you think know, like maybe it was just the, an attempt at that time to you know strike at the heart of the basically the, the Protestant community in that area more or less ethnic cleansing as such Like it was kind of the no or I don't know if it's the norm, like, you know, I had a lot of my, a few of my uncles were in the, in the RUC, like, 
uh, uncle or other uncles in the UDR, you know, a lot of the fam family were you know, members of, of the security forces, you know, a lot of people in the, the local area, you know, but the local area, I suppose, was a high threat area, there was a lot of activity, so it was, you know, like it was kind of the norm, but, you know, it wasn't normal, if you know what I mean. Of course, it was normal for for yourself and you and and your family, but yeah. you know, is it normal it's for it's normal in a normal society? You know, we shouldn't constantly have to. You shouldn't be under, you know, threat at your place of work or at your home place. It's, you know, you're going to go out to your car someday and there's going to be a bomb under it, or you know, you're going to be, you know, somebody's going to jump out from behind a bush with a bottle of glove on them. You know, it's it's, it's not normal. It's not right. You know, there's things that crop up all the time or, you know, things tend not to watch too much of the, the news. You know, sometimes you just find it very hard hard to believe and turn on the news that, the, you know, things like the First first Minister in Meeting is a member of the Republican movement, really, in effect. You know, it's kind of second year bad luck. Obviously, you, you, you would have felt very safe with your dad as well because, you know, because of his job. Yeah, well... Just the area I was was in, you know, originally from close to Castle Derg area, which was an area that was really hit hard, you know, during the Republican campaign, you know, a lot of people were killed and murdered, numerous bomb attacks in the, the local town, you know, it was really, I suppose, close proximity to the border, give a quick getaway to the safe haven of the Irish Republic. Remember, there would have been times, you know, there used to be a ceasefire announced at Christmas time, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. I remember thinking to myself, well, well, my father wouldn't be attacked maybe during those times, you know. So even as a 10-year-old boy, it was always kind of in the back of your mind, like, my father had, his brother was murdered as well by the Republican movement, um, you know, a few years prior to his, his attack, you know, so it was, it was always there, it was always some sort of fear, like, you know, growing up, you know, vivid, vivid memories of, you know, the town being cordoned off and, you know, people being at, have been attempted murder or murders at the top of the town at the old police barracks and, you know, I remember vividly one time, you know, one of our neighbours, um, he was uh, in the UDR, he put also ran a, a shoe shop in the town, I remember there was, there was a really sticks in my mind that, uh, you know, that wasn't bad enough that the, they went and they killed the man, they had to leave bombs behind it, you know, so that the, the, the security forces or the ambulance crews coming behind them wouldn't, wouldn't be able to maybe to attempt to save him. You know, remember the whole, the, the shop was completely burned, smell of rubber in the town for days after, like, you know, just, I don't understand how people can do that sort of thing. Uh, speaking of the news, uh, the the awful news last week of uh, you know the attempted murder of um, of DCI John Caldwell, I know that that had had a you know a, a, you know that had an effect on you. Yeah, definitely did. You know, you think things like that were were in the past. You know, like you know attempt attempted murder is just despicable. You know, to try and you know take kill a man for the children. You know, it's the same sort of thing that happened to myself. Like you know, just it's unreal. It'll just, I don't know, it's just, I can't understand how somebody would set out to, to do such a thing. You know, it definitely, definitely brought things back, you know, and just, uh, I don't know, you think, is, is this ever going to 
going to change or, or is this is this going to ramp up or you just don't know it gives you all these different sort of thoughts you know just I hope the man makes a full recovery you have the politicians you know from the Republican movement coming out and rightly condemning what happened you know but you see like what's the difference between happened you know Manoma there last week and what happened during 30 years of violence you know murder is murder attempted murder is attempted murder you know then the same people are condemning that but then for the same weekend they're going to a, a commemoration of two men that grew themselves up on the way to um, bomb an RUC station you know it's just it's just hypocrisy at the highest level like it just stinks like I can feel myself getting agitated about it now and you know, it's hard to keep a grasp on things, like when you see the like of that happens, happens you know, like, seems to be constant glorification of that Republican campaign. It's not, on, not on glorifying or glamorous about going out to kill a man in front of his family. It's not glorification, like. It makes you angry? Yeah, definitely. Definitely does, you know. It makes you, makes you sick, like, you, know, you see things like that, and it just seems that these... There's just a constant, like, a appeasement process to those who have done wrong, but to, you need to have that. It has peace compared to what it used to be, but, you know, it's definitely peace peace at a price as such. The things that were to really move forward or, you know, they get away from the demons of the past, people really should show real remorse, but there is no remorse from what I can see from the Republican movement. Well, definitely a long, long time has passed, you know, since it's, um, you know, back to the days when the Belfast Agreement was signed, you know, a lot of a lot of things have changed, you know, in North Ireland. It's a completely different political landscape, good in the way that uh, the peace, so-called peace, has lasted for quite some time, you know, but I still feel that there's a lot of things going on in the background, you know, Definitely think it's say maybe peace peace at a price. Feel that there's definitely been a, a lot of appeasement towards the Republican movement. Did, were were you old enough there to vote for for Yes, I was old enough old enough to vote. I'm pretty sure I would have been I was about eighteen at the time, I think, yeah. I remember remember voting at the time, but I didn't vote for the Good Friday Agreement, I voted no at the time. One of the main reasons to me it um, it just seemed morally wrong, you know, that people who'd committed heinous crimes and murder were being blowed out of let out of jail with a, a blank check to continue with their lives, you know, and they'd shattered so many others. And uh, it just to me off well, like not really so much at the time, like but I remember there was a lot of talk about, you know, how the principle of consent had been you know, put into the agreement to secure that uh, the democratic wishes of the majority of the people, but you know, in a law-abiding democratic society, that would go without saying, you know, without being, you know, the been held a ransom by the the gun and the bomb as such. I take it uh, you you wouldn't change your vote now if you know somebody asked you about the Good Friday Agreement. I think definitely not. Definitely not. Um, can't think why you would or how 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 you could look. It would be fairly firmly opposed to it with moral moral compass to me like it was murder is wrong and to, there's complete 
complete transparency, no night and day between the like of my father who, who proudly proudly served and also the fence regiment, you know, went out with a uniform on us, head held high, you know, they there's somebody that sent sets out to sets out that night, that day to go out and commit commit murder, hiding behind cars and bushes for Balaclava on, you know, there's a clear distinction between what you would describe as right, right or wrong, good, good or evil, hero or coward. Be very angry about what happened, but you know things move on. Like but, you know, the memories stay with you. This episode of the Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kirsten Elder. The clips you heard were from AP and the BBC.